Yo, what's going on? This is Jack Freeman, your host of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Uh want to thank you guys so much for listening to episode one. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out after this particular episode. This is episode two. I got a special guest with me, um, Sean Adigan, out of Chicago, Illinois, a U of H grad. Uh, we talk a lot about her journey going into um, the uh, 2012 Olympic Games, and we talk about her journey now in the 2018 Winter Olympics as the very first member members of the Nigerian national bobsled team. So definitely want to, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I want to give you guys an, uh, an idea of where you can find me uh, is underscore Jack Freeman on Twitter. I am Jack Freeman on Instagram. You can also go to the freemanbrand.com. You'll find all my show dates. You'll find this podcast. You'll be able to subscribe to my Patreon account. Um, and we'll talk more about Patreon as we go as we go into more episodes. Um, but basically, you can subscribe to my account. I'll do exclusive uh, videos and uh, first looks at certain things that I got coming out, or maybe some giveaways, some merch as we keep going. And um, the more we get more viewership and things of that nature and more subscriptions, um, the more I can actually do with the podcast. So um, so definitely check that out. That's the freemanbrand.com. You just hit whatever tab you want to go to, listen to the music, check out the podcast, subscribe to Patreon, all that good stuff. Um, also, so typically what we wanted to do with the podcast is we want to do a Friday release. Unfortunately, my man Vic, DJ Prolific has some issues, uh, some technical difficulties, and we were not able to get this podcast out on a Friday. So you, it's probably Monday with this coming out. And um, so with that, we had to get an editor to come in and do the editing for this particular podcast. So with that said, I want to give a shout out to my man, George Young, the uh, producer, rapper, um, engineer extraordinaire, also the biggest Houston sports fan that you'll probably ever meet in your life. So shout out to George Young, man. Hit my man up if you guys um, need to record, you know, and get your rap dreams off the ground and shit. He's got his own. He's got his own studio. So uh, shout out to him. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? What I got? Oh, shows coming up, man. February 24th. I'm in New Orleans at the Ace Hotel. Um, that is 600 Carondelet. It is a free event. You can RSVP on the um, Ace Hotel website, or you can just show up. Um, in March, we got South by Southwest coming up. I'm still waiting to see what dates I'm going to be doing. Uh, stay tuned for that. Um, also, stay tuned for more great guests. And without further ado, we're going to get into the show. Yeah. On the ride, you better make up your mind and choose up. If you wanna roll in the passenger seat of my car, you better make up your mind and choose up. Choose up. 
Jack of All Trades podcast. I am your host, Jack Freeman. To my left, I got my man, DJ Prolific. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to get some video in here and uh, get it popping. Before we start the show today, and before I introduce my guests, I just want to give y'all an, an opportunity to um, uh, take heed to my schedule as of late. So February 24th, I'm going to be back in New Orleans at the Ace Hotel for Hugh Bynola. That's my residency showcase, um, my residency show. Um, for those that may not know what I do or why I'm even here, I am a singer and songwriter. So um, it's a monthly or bi-monthly uh, residency that we do out of New Orleans for, um, at the Ace Hotel. Um, so that's February 24th. Um, as of today, it's been announced that I will be on the bill for South by Southwest in March. Uh, we do not have a date on that yet. I'm still waiting to hear back from South by Southwest about what date and what time and all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned. Um, go to the freemanbrand.com for everything. Sign up for the newsletter and all that stuff and to listen to this podcast. Uh, also, follow me on Instagram, underscore uh, underscore Jack Freeman on Twitter, I'm sorry, and I am Jack Freeman on Instagram, and DJ Prolific on Twitter and on Instagram and probably on Facebook and all that good stuff. So, I think we got everything out the way. Did I get everything out the way? Did I, did I do it? Okay, my guest today is a young lady that I've known for a good amount of time. It was maybe probably about 2010, maybe it's probably when we met. She is uh, a celebrity now. Uh, I just saw her in a Beats by Dre commercial uh, earlier this week. She's been doing her thing. Her and her teammates have been on Ellen. Um, they getting it in right now, man. I've, I've seen so many people uh, speaking so highly of them and supporting them today. I got my homie, and you might have to help me with your last name because I don't know if I say it right when I say it, but I got my homie, Sean Adijon. Adigan. Adigan. <laughs> I was trying to be super, super uh, correct with this shit, but I said it all the way wrong. Sean Adigan. Yes, we yes. got Sean Adigan in the building. She's a member, one-fourth. Is it fourth? One, three. It's three. One-third. Yes. One third of the Nigerian bobsled team, the women's Nigerian bobsled team, set to um, to compete here in the Winter Olympics this year. And where are y'all gonna be at this year? In Pyeongchang, South Korea. Pyeongchang, South Korea. It's going down. Don't. Sean is a U of H grad. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. She's a former sprinter. We'll get to that part and everything. <laughs> um, and y'all are the first bobsled team from nigeria yes man woman child donkey <laughs> deer y'all the first so hold on a second <laughs> i mean when the door's open is the door oh it was locked what's going on <laughs> oh it's open oh um i mean we're we're talking but you know we're good right now. I mean, the store's not open, but, you know. No, it's not, it's not open at all right now. Yeah, we're just doing a podcast right well, now. Why are you so. 
Well, because you knocked on the door. <laughs> I thought maybe you. I thought maybe you had a a a, a question or something. <laughs> oh no, man! What's the podcast? Uh, we just doing a podcast. Some of some of my friends that I know, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right uh, now? yeah well, we're not live, but we're recording right now. Oh, okay. So yeah. We might. <laughs> we may. We may or may not. We do what we want to do. We'll be on um, iTunes and Spotify and all that kind of yeah, stuff. I actually got so. I follow, I follow a couple people on Spotify. Oh, dope, dope, dope. That's what's up. What's your name, man? My name Aaron Ford. Aaron Ford? Yeah. Good to meet you, Aaron Ford. Aaron Ford. Pull up. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. So we... um. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna continue. we just started, so we're gonna um, you know all that kind of stuff. We want to go. Are we we still recording? Huh? We still going? Oh, okay. Sweet. So where did I leave off? You are from Houston, U of H. Well, no, you're not from Houston. You went to U of H. You're from Chicago, Illinois. That is correct. That is correct. Yes, indeed. And you are, uh, I guess, the cool thing about you is that. We met through Amina, yes, who is doing her thing out in L.A., modeling and all types of stuff. And uh, you are, um, Amina is your cousin. Correct. And I met your brother, Tunde, yes. at the same party. <laughs> and shout out to Tunde. He's also in L.A., right? Is he yeah. back in L.A.? Okay. Yep. He's in L.A. He's a comedian. Doing Everybody's doing just incredible shit. So, yes, um, yes. But you, Sean, I am so proud of you, Thank and you. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, the way I want to start the podcast, the way I like to start the podcast, is by um, kind of doing a mental, physical checkup of how we are um, today, how our day was, how we're doing mentally, how we're doing physically. If your elbow hurt, let me know your elbow hurt, if, <laughs> you know. Um, if you've been feeling down lately, if you've been feeling super happy lately, if you've been feeling excited, uh, just let me know how you been. How's everything? You know, it's crazy because like I feel like that question can I can go on and on and on and yep, on about yep, how yep. I actually really feel. Uh, yep. Just because right now I'm living in this this life of surreal almost like yep, I'm, yep, I'm yep. numb to everything that's going on um, while still being completely and over involved mm -hmm. and overwhelmed. Um, it's just, it's been one of those, like, leading up now to the games, we are doing a lot of preparation. Like, mm -hmm. there's just a whole lot of getting stuff ready. I got my sled. I'm yeah, getting yeah, yeah. ready to send my sled off. Absolutely. I got to go to Canada, which is a trip that wasn't really planned. And so getting ready for that. Yeah. We're actually going to go to Nigeria before going to South Korea. So To do a little send-off type of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, being that That's we're actually jet lag. Oh man! But you know what? <laughs> At least it's jet lag in the right direction. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Like, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. I'm good with that. Um, but yeah, I think right now I have all kinds of mixed emotions because it's overwhelming mm -hmm. in a good way, overwhelming in a crazy way. Um, I think the good way, obviously, is the fact that everybody's been so receptive to how much we have actually contributed to the growth of the sport. And absolutely. To Absolutely. The growth of Nigeria being represented in um, the Winter Olympics, as well as mm -hmm. Africa as a continent being represented in the sport of bobsled. So um, I think that that in itself, I humbly like sit back and just want to be in the background, just want to be like Absolutely. somebody who just wanted to help. 
yeah. you know, versus now, it's like, nah, you're in the forefront. You are nah, like, yeah, you in it now. <laughs> <laughs> you might yeah. just be looking at it, but yeah. yeah. And so. I, and the way you're the way you're explaining it, the way you're talking about it, I'm kind of curious as to how much of this you genuinely got to enjoy. Because I mean, granted, it's all fun, and we, you know, you get to, um, you get to do this with some girls, and I'm, I'm sure you're pretty close to at this point, or you've probably been close to for a while, um, and you know, you've been on TV, you've been all, and all this stuff, and I'm, and I'm kind of curious because I know as an artist, and I know even when I was an athlete, that the race is over, the game is over, or my show is over with. And I get home and I don't get to, I like, I, I haven't had an opportunity to enjoy any of it because my mind is just moving so much. And I'm trying to make sure that everything is right. And once one little thing isn't working out the way that it needs to, that's going to set me off or that's going to set time back and all of this kind of stuff. And years later, you forget that like, like, damn, I really was like involved in some really cool some really cool stuff so like how much of that have you gotten to enjoy so far um honestly the whole process is back um and let people get the flowers for it or you know i like to just i just like for people to be great like i just want to see people be great and i've been saying that for years and so if there's any way i can contribute to that um i do it but i don't necessarily need to get the credit for it right and so now that that is actually almost reciprocated like no you actually are getting credit for what you help pioneer it just becomes like this whole scenario where i'm like man i'm overwhelmed because i just want to sit in the back but i know that it's more important Mm -hmm. for me not to sit in the back because that's what this is all about it's about representation and i think it's um exactly what i was about to say like this is this is something that um growing up in some of the places i grew up and being around some of the kids that i knew and, and going back and working with kids for the brief time that i have and just um, understanding a lot of those kids' circumstances and some of them that aren't in such bad circumstances. We, what I learned, especially about us, about black people in general, is that kids only wanna be what they see. Mm-hmm. And in the hood, you don't see doctors, you don't see a lot of engineers. My dad was an engineer. A lot of people didn't know that around, like, my. <laughs> the kids around me were surprised that I even had my father around because a lot of them didn't have their fathers around. So, and then when he met my father, it was like, yo daddy, my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, so like that's that's one of the things that you uh that you touched on and I wanted to talk about a little bit um that makes this whole thing really cool is that like growing up where I grew up around some of the people that I grew up around um representation was everything so they only wanted to be what they saw and if they saw if they, they didn't really see a lot of engineers or or doctors or lawyers or anything like that and um what they did see though was when they turned on the tv the rich guy on tv was probably a rapper or an athlete or you know you know everybody wanted to hoop everybody wanted to be a football player everybody wanted to um to uh, find a way to get ahead that way because for a lot of people, they didn't really understand that 
you know, you could be a lot of other things. You just got to know and understand that that's what those people are and um, that that it's available to you. And um, when people come back into those, like I, I would like to see more people go back into those neighborhoods and say, man, look at me, I'm a, you know, I'm an engineer. Like I'm, this is what I do. You know what I mean? Which is, Sylvester Turner is like an example. He's from Make His Home. You know, he goes back and he could talk to the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but especially for something as specialized as bobsledding. Like, people don't understand how many sports there are in the world. <laughs> no, in real life. <laughs> there's, there's so many sports in the world. Mm -hmm. And you guys took something that probably nobody in Nigeria was really thinking about. Nobody in, in the whole continent was even thinking about. And you made it into, like, you literally created history. And so it doesn't even, like, obviously, you be, you being a competitor, you want to win and you want to, you want to, you want to medal, you want to do all this stuff. But just the fact that you did that <laughs> is something that, like, nobody can take that away from you guys. And right now it's just like you wake up and you you get pulled one way and one way and this person's in your ear and that person's in your ear and then you you probably hear some of the negative shit that that comes up and um but you just keep it moving and it's hard to enjoy it but later on you will um so i think that you know i'm sure you hear this every day from people that you know i just want to remind you that the shit that you're doing and the things that you and your and your teammates are doing is so important to to a lot of people i mean it like <laughs> and i can't even i can't even touch the surface of like how important it really is to a lot of people because i've never been to nigeria <laughs> i've never be, i've never even touched the continent of africa mm -hmm. so i don't really even see the yeah. magnitude of it we but i know there. it's 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 i gotta get there we gotta get you i gotta there. get there yeah. but it's crazy but what i want to do right now is i want to talk about where does the the sean story start <laughs> like because we got to get to all the way to how you even thought about oh i think i'll be a bobsledder because <laughs> i know part of the story but I don't know the whole what story. What part you know? I know <laughs> that I know that you're from Chicago. Mm -hmm. You ran track there. For whatever reason, you decided on U of H. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, because people in Chicago <laughs> don't really do that unless you're Carl Lewis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jersey like people guy. not just going to to they might go to UT, they might go to Texas AM or something like that. But U of H isn't a place where folks from the Midwest even really care to even come down to you know what i mean Which so it's unfortunate because it, they should you know whatever <laughs> I'm, i mean i went to utep I mean, so we you know it's, it's, so. it's, it's, it's not, i mean y'all like we're not gonna you ask you <laughs> yeah you know whatever so i know you did that and you spent some time um running as a hurdler for the nigerian national team so you're no stranger to the olympics this is your third olympics at Se this is your second you went in 2016 no, no you went in 2012 and i skipped 16 and then you skipped 16 mm -hmm. and then and now you're here 18. for the winter olympics out here with the with the the eskimos so <laughs> i, I want to know where does the sean story start how does this person become this 
Well, you know what? It's, I, I don't even know where to start because we'd be here all day if I told you my whole testimony. It's kind of kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, started in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, went unrecruited to University of Houston, actually. So you walked on? I did. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I got here and I had already signed. I was already coming here. I was already accepted. I was yeah. here already yeah. where they were like, hey, we're going to scramble up a little tuition and books for you. And oh, I was yeah. like, cool. Okay. I was super excited because yeah. I was like, you know, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I uh, had all these academic scholarships because I'm really a nerd in real life. Like, I'm a real life nerd. She and is. And so, <laughs> I, yeah, you know. <laughs> you, you are, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that part, too. But <laughs> you're so definitely a nerd. <laughs> I had, like, all these academic scholarships yeah. where I could pretty much have gone to any school that I wanted to in yeah. the country. But um, I really wanted to go to University of Houston uh, mm-hmm. just because I knew I was going to come to Texas out of Chicago. I needed somewhere warm. I yep. wanted to go to a big, well-respected program in track and field because I actually was a basketball player. Um, that part, yeah. I think you told me, and I forgot <laughs> completely about. Yeah. So you was a point guard? No, I was power forward. You were power forward? Yes. I, well, how tall are you? Let me tell you. First <laughs> of all, okay, I'm 5'5", five five, but I'm 5'6 on my long leg. Okay. Oh, okay. On like your I, long I leg. I got a short leg and a long leg. In oh, real life, like oh. my left leg is short. Yeah, okay? <laughs> but besides that, I thought I was going to dunk my senior year in high school. You thought you was going to dunk? No lie. Like I touched the backboard. Oh, you got, you got hops. I got bunnies, yeah, yeah, you know. So yeah. my sophomore year, beginning of my sophomore year, I touched the backboard, and I was like, oh, I'm dunking senior year. Yeah. So I kept working on You know back then we used to wear them shoes and your calves. The jump soles. Oh, the moles didn't help nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> the moles was big. Just for oh, no reason. It was big. They was like $130 in East Bay. Man, and East Bay magazines stayed coming to the house. Man. That's all I wanted. Let me tell you something. <laughs> them boots, them shoes were T-Rash. They were <laughs> double T-Rash. <laughs> and, and they still selling, they still sending East Bays out. Dog, it was They still awful. sending East Bays out. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> but if they still got them jump soles in there, I'm, I'm going die. to, man. I'm going to die if I see Yo, those them, in there. Them things was trash. <laughs> but like, every, when they first came out, man, everybody wanted those kicks. They were doing calf raises yeah, so they couldn't think. Yeah. So I dunked on a nine-foot rim. Yeah, right? So I thought I was going to go to the temple room. Yeah, I was, my hands are too small. Oh, so I had to, like, mm. I couldn't palm it, so I would have had to, like, to grip cuff it. it. Yeah, yeah, so I needed a lot more height. Yeah, yeah. So basically my dreams to dunk, they shattered, um, specifically because I moved from this, the north side to the south suburbs where I ended up graduating high school. Okay. And so all the whatever looks I was going to be getting from D1, I wasn't getting them. And I decided, yeah. you know what? It's about that time that I go ahead and make a decision mm-hmm. if I'm going to go ahead and pursue basketball in college or if I'm going to do track because obviously I'm not getting the looks I want and I know I can run fast. So okay. I started doing track. So growing up in a Nigerian household, you're second generation American? First generation. First generation. So family is First generation. fresh out of there. Family's fresh out. How much support did you get from your family as an athlete like how much of like were they like yeah that shit's cool like (laughs) sean that's cool like you're a good basketball player like i don't even really know how good you are (laughs) but they saying you good but yeah hit these books yeah or was it like did they really kind of get because a lot of the people that i know when they wanted to make music when they wanted to be athletes a lot of first generation kids that come over here and they and their parents are just like eh, 
miss me with all that. Miss me with all that. All of it. <laughs> Are you gonna pass the bar though? Basically. <laughs> yeah. So like, how was how was that growing up? Um, like I said, because I was a nerd. Like yeah. nobody could really tell me anything because I was yeah. getting, you the getting grades. Good grades. Yeah. yeah, I was getting the grades, and I was very passionate about maintaining the grades. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I would be harder on myself academically than anybody else could be for me. So. If I found time to do extracurricular stuff while still being academically intact, mm -hmm. my parents were just kind of like, all right, cool. And yeah. my dad was actually a soccer star in Nigeria. He okay. actually should have been playing for the national team. Yeah. But his father was the exact same way, telling him to, right. no. to fo focus on his books and do all this stuff. Like, my dad had people flying, and this was like in the 60s and 70s, yeah. flying all over Nigeria just to come watch him play um, in the backyard. You know That's what I mean? Crazy. Like. He was that guy. So he, I think, knew what his passion was in athletics and how it kind of got stripped from him and mm -hmm. didn't want to be that guy. Right, right. And my mom, she's just super gung-ho. She's yeah. like, my kids, I love them. Okay. <laughs> what like, do they do? What are you doing? I'm doing it too. I will be there. I will be shouting. I will be on the team. Let's do it. Go show. Like, she just. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's my gay. Like, <laughs> that's it. Like, Yo. it doesn't matter. She's just there. And so, she with it. Oh, yeah. She's she is like, with Like, what's it. up? Where are we going? We so, going we going to the Olympics. Look, so am I. And I never had a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. Because I was actually a good athlete. Right, right. So um it was never really like a waste of her time mm -hmm. when she would go because she would see like the results yeah, or you she wouldn't going out there stinking it up. Exactly. So it's like, like I'm actually playing, like I'm starting, you know. Yeah. So she's like, Okay, well I'm not like sitting on the bench yeah. watching my kid sit on the bench. So definitely. And so, yeah, um, I actually had a lot of support from the beginning of time. My mom didn't always understand in high school why we had to practice every day. Right, um, right. Because un growing up for them, it was like they had inner school sports, but you like practice like once yeah, or like yeah. twice. Or maybe you did something beast. once every two months. Yeah. But when they talking about we had practice every day, she's like, but why? Like, yeah. why must you practice every day? Why do you do that? <laughs> yeah. She told my coach, she said, again today? today. You, need, you need her again today? <laughs> today? Yes. Uh -uh, I can't be driving her back and forth. Oh, so man. they were what like, What was the no, drive? Like, it. how long was the drive? Not even that far. Minutes, like. 15 minutes. She was just like. <laughs> she said, no, nah, no. Nah, now when I'm going to she work. She about that life. You look, you want me to come pick this baby up? No. Nah, That's how my mom was at first. She was like, she loved that I played football. Like, uh -huh. I was I was good at it, so she didn't mind it. When I told her I wanted to run track, she was like, <laughs> mm -mm. you know it's hot out there, right? <laughs> and I said, Mom, I know, but I want to run because I think I'll be pretty good. Mm -hmm. And she got out there, and she was uh, she was a G about it, too. I'm talking about, like, it was written in the family budget that my mom, literally written in the family budget, because uh -huh. my dad is a spreadsheet engineer person. I love it. So it was written in the family budget that every Saturday my mom got her hair done. I love it. So it. my mom spent the entire morning getting her hair done, and when she did that, she was at the track meet. Like, what I missed. Let me find out. She is about in it. there about in it. there I so love it. man so it's like i feel you completely yeah, so, so you I, the support was crazy it's yeah. something that i always had and it's crazy because i'm the only girl i have three brothers one wow. older two younger yet i was the the true definition of the lioness like yeah i was the one that always fought i was the one that always like of looked course. out for mine like, of course if we need to go get food and need, need to eat like i'm the one yeah. going to pray i'm about to go i'm about to go shoot. back to the den i'm about to go shoot <laughs> a thundercat <Yes>. <laughs> in an alley on the south side of chicago but you know what we're gonna eat crazy thing is is because my older brother um 
I wanted to be just like him. Yeah. I always wanted to do everything he did. Mm-hmm. But he was the biggest loser ever. <laughs> but growing up, I just wanted to be him. But uh. him, he just played basketball and played video games. Like, he yeah. didn't do anything. He was just, he was just on the Sega. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but because I always wanted to walk around with him, yeah. I felt like I needed to continuously prove myself. Right, so I had to right. win over his friends all the time. And that's what made me so aggressive and so athletic. Because yeah. when he wanted to play ball, I wanted to play ball. Yeah, because when you get ready to hoop, you're like, can I play? Can and they're like, nah, you're a girl. You're a girl. Ball. Boom. You're a girl. And you're like, what? All right. Ask me to rock. Pick me up. You know? <laughs> and then I just grab boards over your head. You know, like, yeah, that's, yeah. that was how it worked. Board. <laughs> boards. Boards. <laughs> like, boards. 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 Like, okay, we need her on our squad. <laughs> yeah, box out. <laughs> you ain't telling they homie, man, box out, bro. Right. Like, come on, exactly. man. Exactly. Box out. play soft, but then I'm driving to the paint full play. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, and no. you throwing an elbow every now and then. You yeah. gotta know how to play with Man, guys. look. Street. My brother's 14 years older than me. Wow. And he realized that he had to play me like. <laughs> a man when I was like 12 or 13 because he started seeing them buckets wasn't coming easy because I was elbowing the shit out of him and he was not pl- like I was not playing and he was a hooper like he he played point guard and he played football and literally but once he got to high school he just went straight basketball yeah and he had a little like he he's 5'11 but he had some weight on him like mm-hmm. he you know he you know who he looks like face and everything he looks like Derek Fisher he looks exactly like Derek oh, Fisher, wow. and I be telling him that too, especially now that he had to shave because the because the, the hairline went. He looks exactly like Derek Fisher. Wow. So those they're those guys that aren't extremely fast, but they're fundamentally very fundamentally sound, and they have the body to kind of move you. Mm-hmm. And I'm 12, 13. I'm like 130 pounds, so like he's pushing me, but I'm pushing back, and he's going up for for layups, and I'm bowing him in the chest <laughs> and i still wasn't winning but he but right. one day i remember he i hit him and he, he was like oh i'm gonna have to play you like for real <laughs> like he looked at me and i was like, like All right. what's up let's do it I was, what's up <laughs> and and Chip wasn't getting ball. off the court until i won <laughs> right, right and which i never won and you know i'm 12 he's 26 like yeah. what i'm gonna do with that yeah so i get it like you and but it's myself, it's added man. to it when you're a girl you're a girl oh, in the neighborhood and you 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 on the courts or you racing kids and you like, like I'm not, so you're not getting in this race. tackle football in the field, I'm playing. If we <laughs> like, playing, like we definitely playing. I'm totally. If we playing piggy, I'm playing. Oh, if we playing softball, you I'm in it. playing. You Kickball, in it. I'm there. Like wherever y'all need, I'm in and there. And then and then your brother's like, after a while, he's just like, I mean, y'all not gonna pick her. Okay, I fine. Mean, like, at first, he was <laughs> over it because he's yeah. just like. Dang, I can't get rid of you because now yeah. my friends want you to be on the team. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you want me to do then. Boss. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, I, I don't. <laughs> what you want me to suck? <laughs> like, but he really started everything because it's crazy because yeah. he's the only one out of all of us who's like in corporate America and you know like doing the <laughs> normal man life thing. Yeah. And so um, everybody's kind of like, well, what about y'all older brother? Like, he don't do nothing yeah. in the arts. And I'm like, y'all don't realize he started everything. So what does your other brother do? So my younger brother that's behind me, Tunde, he's in Cali he's doing in a Cali's comedy, comedy thing. Yeah. Um, and then my baby brother, he's finishing up at DePaul University, but he's a rapper. He does music. <laughs> and he's actually a Red Bull Select artist. He's like Oh dope. That's what's up. Yeah, he's he just did his first tour, his first college tour uh that's what's up. last month. 
which was crazy. Wow. He had like six shows, and yeah. he's doing he's doing outstanding right That's now, dope. which That's I'm dope. really excited about him. He so, had his first sold out headliner in Chicago, and it was I so was dope. Fun. Yeah, it was, dope. was so you know like we're just kind of all in the arts. So you unrecruited, mm-hmm. you just pop up at U of A. Literally, I just popped up. Let Coach Burrell tell you. <laughs> and, and I could tell Burrell's probably looking at you like he said you, you recruited me bro yeah <laughs> and and I didn't have many interactions with Burrell I had a lot of interaction with Blackburn Blackburn yeah and Blackburn's the nicest guy man so shout out to coach Blackburn <laughs> Blackburn really really wanted me to come to U of H but we could not get the coaches off and get a football scholarship yeah. but the reason why and I'm gonna tell on him <laughs> The reason why is because they had Tyrone. Me and Tyrone Boom. graduated the yeah, same year. Yeah. So wasn't really a lot of room for two guys like that mm-hmm. on the team. You had Vincent and then you mm-hmm. had Donnie and then you had um you had Tyrone Carrier. Yeah. So shout out to Tyrone. I just talked to him a couple the of days best ago. Friend. He's this. actually in town right now, I think. Yeah, he is. He <laughs> is. He is. And um he was actually going to meet Vincent. Yeah. Uh, when, who when I, I need to meet, to hit both of them up. But, you know, if that's another thing, I'm going to fire them up. It's crazy because, yeah. like, those are my two college best friends. Oh, yeah? Yeah, both of them. Tyrone, like, man. Uh, Vincent left and T came in that year. Yeah, so, I, rem- yeah. I, I'm, I met T when we were probably in the seventh grade, seventh, eighth oh, grade. Crazy. And we ran because we ran summer ran track. Ran summer track, yeah. And um, between Tyrone and Fozzie Whitaker and uh, a few other guys that, we go all day naming like those are guys that like I'm super proud of now because Tyrone he played a little pro ball now he's a coach. Mm-hmm. Fozzie is Fozzie's and played at a Super Bowl now at mm-hmm. at Carolina and all that kind of stuff. So you know, so you get to U of H. I, uh, so I got to U of H, and um, I knew I was gonna be running track. So yeah. I was like a preferred walk on because if you're gotcha. not recruited coming out of high school, gotcha. but you're already uh, but you have like a spot on the team. Yeah. You're considered a preferred walk-on. I forgot on. they did that. Yeah, yeah, so, but because I ended up signing a partial scholarship, like, the week of school starting, I ended up becoming, you know, like, I was gotcha. officially, you know, on a, a member of the team. Yeah. Um, and so I just basically went through that whole season. But mm-hmm. what people don't know is I quit track. my se- After my freshman year, I quit that summer. And um, wow. I quit because um, I actually had a heart condition. Um, oh. I had heart surgery my junior, my senior year in college. Wow, I never knew that. And I had heart surgery my when I was 13. Was it a murmur or? Yeah, I had um, this condition called AV no reentry tachycardia. And what it was was basically, yeah, I know, that right? a very big word. <laughs> it's, it's where the, the communication between the AV and the SA node, which conduct the heartbeat, yeah. it was being interrupted by extra tissues. And so they needed to go in and burn them out in order for my heart not to beat in this, like, really fast and crazy rhythmic fashion. And because I was asthmatic and I had bad allergies, which I learned when I came to Houston. um, (laughs) Really quickly. You learn about your allergies. Look, I thought I was dying. You learn even more about them when you go to El Paso. Really? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so bad. Yeah. So bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, ended up needing to ended up needing to get heart surgery again by the time I was a junior in college. Um, but I I was just kind of over it. Like I was over the it was hard, you know. Yeah. Like I was just typical. It's difficult, and I'm good. Like 
I got here, I gave it a shot. You know, I've got academic money still coming yeah. in. I could be a regular student. Like, I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. I'm tired of having to get cleared by the heart doctor every year. Yeah. I'm tired of going to practice and feel like I'm going to literally die. Yeah. Like, I just had this fear that I never really spoke about because I didn't want it to be an excuse or I didn't right, want it to right. be, like, something that people felt sorry for me about. So right. I just kind of kept it to myself. But every day I come to practice, think I was gonna die. Like I was the one person who never laid out on the ground when you're touching knees. When yeah, you get yeah, real yeah. Because if you lay down, you didn't think you was gonna well, get I was back scared. up. I was scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm the not moment I close them eyes, yeah. it might be a wrap. So do you think, in a way, um, because you want to work twice as hard to get where you are, because you really weren't recruited. Um, nobody even knew who you were when you got here. And on U of H, I know off of personal experience that basically everybody at U of H is from Houston mm -hmm. and <laughs> on the track team at least and, and they're, they're and they're extremely fast <laughs> they're extremely talented and if they're not from Houston they're from uh Texas. yeah or like the outskirts the smaller towns mm -hmm. around Houston um so there was probably a part of you that said I gotta work twice as hard but I can't oh, yeah. work twice as hard because my my heart might drop out of my body Look. right now and that's that's amazing because it, it makes it even more uh, interesting that you're even here. Yeah. Because, you know, like you like, what what actually made you say, "Nah, I'm gonna do it. I'm I'm back. I'm gonna I'm gonna get back in there." You know, it's my best friend um, Desiree. Uh, she mm -hmm. was running at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, okay. and she was like a multiple time All American freshman year up mm -hmm. there at D two, and um, I had just qualified for indoor and out well outdoor nationals okay and it and was it's like collegiate or pro collegiate okay and it was like you're a freshman and you qualify for nationals in your freshman year yeah, and nobody's you were, doing that you were the youngest person i mean the the last person to get recruited the last ranked hurdler in your flock like mm -hmm. you don't need to give this up da, da, da. she got in my head and because it was a summertime nobody mm -hmm. is in season anyway so people yeah, didn't nobody know I really knew yeah right so i ended up coming back in, in my sophomore season and then i actually it was going to actually quit again, but I didn't fully quit. I really just considered playing basketball. Oh, so well, I, it <laughs> there yeah. it goes. So yeah. I was just like, man, I think I really think after the sophomore year, like I'm just going to start just, just playing hooping. ball. Like yeah. I'm, and so I actually started going to open gyms with some of the ball players yeah. here and doing stuff with them. Um, but it was an Olympic year, my mm. sophomore year. And so everybody was like, you know what? Just give it another shot. This is twenty. So now this is 2018. Eight. 2008, eight, rather, yeah. yeah. So 2007 <coughs> was my sophomore year. So that summer was going into the 2008 season. And right. they said, you know what, Sean, don't give up on track right now. Like, it's an Olympic year. You just made NCs as a freshman mm -hmm. and a sophomore. You made NCs again, and you went on a four-by-one. Mm -hmm. Another like, one. Right. They're like, yo, <laughs> you've already been in season four times. Like, don't do it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I stuck with it again. And I came short. Um because I basically, like I said, whenever I wanted to represent anybody, any professional team, I said I was going to represent Nigeria just right. because I was super, I was really inspired by how people received Nigerians during the 20, 2004 Olympics, right, during right. opening ceremonies, how happy people <coughs> were. Like mm -hmm. there was so much joy, so much positivity. And there was like this essence of just belonging mm -hmm. and that was something that i knew in that moment that i wanted to be able to give back mm -hmm. to the country and so i said okay you know what if i do this i'm gonna do it for nigeria and so in 2008 my goal was to try out for the nigerian team 
but I was plagued with all kinds of injuries in 2008. That's what happens and on the track. <laughs> man, I got to I got further in NCs yeah. this time, but ended up falling short yet again, mm -hmm. and I wasn't selected. And I actually made it to regionals and everything. I was I made it to the semifinals at NCs. I wasn't all American, but mm -hmm. like I had climbed up the wall. It was my first right. time making an individual event. But they were like, yeah, you're not like you're. You're good, but, but you're not ready. We're yet. not gonna yeah. fly on that year, so I was shattered. Um, but that also became the time where I needed to get the second heart surgery. So, so good timing. I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> well, I was at the regionals and I about died. So the ambulance man told me. He said, "Remember, I told you how I never touch my knees. I never crouch. Yeah. I never do any of that." So while I was running, this was the first time where I actually felt like the palpitations in my chest as I was running. And oh, I was like, shit. well, this isn't normal. And I'm just still yeah. going, I'm hurtling. Yeah. And I get to the finish line and I'm like, huh, I feel that. I'm gonna walk yeah. over to the side, yeah. you know? So I walk to the side and I'm standing there. And you know, after the race, you walk to the side and walk off. So yeah. I just kind of stood there. And I was just standing, kind of smirking, like, why do I feel this in my head? Mm -hmm. And so then, like five minutes goes by and the ladies, one of the ladies, like the clerks are like, are you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Look are you? your life. Are you <laughs> yeah. Like, and I still was having an episode, and I just kind of smirked. And I looked at the lady, and I said, uh, you mind calling that a uh, paramedic right there? And I did it just like that. Yeah. I was like, you uh, mind calling a paramedic? And I was smiling at her, and she was like, like the, the paramedic, like, you serious? And I was like, yeah, go and bring him over yeah, here. Bring, <laughs> just going to holler for a second. <laughs> <laughs> just want to ask him a question. <laughs> and so then when he came over, I was still kind of hunched over, and I told him my situation. And sure as the sky is blue, they pull out this gurney. They start, I'm like, oh, oh, come on. Like, they're like, we got to strap you up. They put an EKGs on me. And I'm just like, oh, of course, ceremony. One like, more time. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, I do not. And I had to race the next day. And I'm like, guys, I don't need all of that. I could walk in real life. I just need, this is just taking a little longer than it usually takes yeah, to go down. Yeah. I don't really, it's, this episode lasted about 45 minutes where my heart rate was like 230 beats a minute. And I'm just standing here looking at you That's like this. Death. And it was so hard where you could like see it through my shirt, like the my heartbeat through my shirt. And so after a while, there's a certain uh, maneuver that they do to try and get you to calm your heart rate down. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working. And so the paramedic was like, you know, we're, we've called the, the doctor to come over, um, but we might have to basically restart your heart. And I, Look, you made the same thing. I'm asking, sir, sir. We're, we're not restarting anything yeah, around yeah. here. Well, You're not about to lethally inject yeah, me. And then I am not a computer. Oof, oof. Yeah, no, uh, we're not doing that, okay? <laughs> we're, we're not doing because they were talking about using all this. I said, no, we're just going to sit here and wait for it to go down like he usually does, okay? Yeah. And he was like, I mean, th these are the options. These are some options we have. I said, no, we, we have multiple options. And the one that I'm going with is we're just going to sit here, okay? And I'll let you sound like it costs. Like, like it, <laughs> like it costs some money. To it do. costs my life. You're <laughs> yeah. not about to kill me and then yeah. let's try and wake her up. No, yeah, we're not doing yeah, yeah. that. Like, we, we're yeah. not going to do that. We're and good. so, but the good thing about that is we had some really good data on an EKG where the doctor could clearly see what was going on with my heart. Perfect. And so yeah. that was when they were like, okay, when you first had the condition in the, in the, um, and the procedure, it was the first time we had introduced it from being an open heart to like a catheter surgery where they burned it oh. out. So now it's 10 years later, so many more medical advancements, we can get in there, knock it out, and you should never have a problem again. Um, because already it was like one in 100,000 that it was gonna come back anyway. And I'm like, bro, I'm like one in 100,000 right now. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you my are. odds aren't really looking that great, okay? No, I, am, I am in the wrong 1% right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's crazy. So yeah, that was basically what 
let that happen. And then the beginning of my senior year, I had the surgery. Six weeks later, I came out and qualified for NCs, and, and it became a madhouse because I started breaking world times and uh, cracking world leads. And, like, I didn't realize how much I was hindered. Yeah. I just thought this is how people are supposed to feel because yeah. it's all I knew, like dying. And yeah. I'm like, y'all are hurting out over this like yeah. i could do this all day all day so i was training like a beast <clears throat> yeah. and i was really being able to fulfill my athletic potential at that moment and it showed like all of a sudden i kind of like came out of nowhere yeah. where it's like I, like i said i always qualify for ncs but i never really put a dent in anything right and so when i started like being at the top of the ncaa list then everybody was like wait a minute like she might actually be she kind of cold she <laughs> actually might be the one <laughs> we might be just like Maybe not give her money for books and give her money for everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I I had got a I earned you a full scholarship full after yeah. after my up. first year. Yeah, but Coach Burrell was like, you know what, Sean, I think that we got cheated out of three years together. You know, because your condition, yeah. and I think that you should stay here because I had already gotten accepted into grad school in Tennessee. I was moving. I was leaving Houston. I was remember I've been wanting to be done with track. So yeah, yeah. the moment I knew, I was like, I'm yeah. gonna get this to the last year. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give I applied to my grad real y'all. <laughs> I'm finna go over here. Exactly. And Next go, phases. Yes. Yeah. So what would what would you go to grad school for? Um, I ended up staying at Houston. Got Coach Burrell convinced right. me to stay here. I did grad school for um, I did a master's in exercise science, mm -hmm. and um, he was like, "Yeah, if you can find something like that here, we'll pay for it and we'll hire you as a coach." And mm -hmm. I was like, "Er, like as in a job?" Hey, was like, a GA? What's that? And they didn't have a GA position, they so they had so to hire me. And then they just like put in a stipend to pay for school, like they created yeah. it. Um, but I was hired as a coach, but it was like part-time yeah. coach. And but nonetheless, I ended up once I finished my master's, I ended up going ahead and getting a full-time position there. Right. And I was there for five years coaching before I resigned. Doing your thing. Yeah. Doing your thing. Yeah. And for the people, since we want to talk about you being a nerd, <laughs> you just got your PhD. Di uh, DC. Your DC in mm -hmm. what? Doctorate of chiropractic. Doctor Doctorate of chiropractic. Yes. I this was just in December, right? Yes. So this is in the midst of you becoming a worldwide phenomenon, <laughs> and you still got time for to do school. Yeah. So take us through. I guess the 2011, 2012 time when you're about to run, when you're about to go out here on these hurdles <laughs> and and give give these boys the business. Man. And, and rep for the country because you make the team eventually and you, you then become like, you start really, really doing some shit that <laughs> people don't really can... People can't really say they're doing. Like, I don't care what continent you're on. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you're in Antarctica. It's not a lot of people that are going to be able to say that I was the best in the continent in anything outside of just being <laughs> 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 so take us through that part. Um. So, yeah, when I broke out and had a great year in 2009, Nigeria was like, bruh, so last year you weren't really about that life. <laughs> they but now they you DM'd are. you like, <laughs> right, like so, hey, uh, big head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, for real. So, um, Hello, uh, big head. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So, I actually joined the team 
for Nigeria, ended up being a three-time national champion and um, a two-time continental champion for Africa in the 100 hurdles. Stop it. Stop. So, yeah, that um, is such a blessing, you know, because there were hurdles literally going through that. And, um, yeah, I ended up making the Olympic team in 2012 for the Summer Games, which was really my whole thing because here I was, the person that quit freshman year, quit sophomore year from track and field. And um, by my senior year, I was ready to be done. Mm -hmm. But I had such a great year that I was like, you know what, I'm going to give this thing three more years. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try for this next Olympic Games and I'll prove to myself that I can compete with the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that was what my only and my purest motivation was, Mm -hmm. was to prove to myself that I can compete with the best in the world despite whatever I had been through. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I felt like I had just been robbed of my athletic potential I think what people don't really understand though is that when you lose to a guy like Usain Bolt or when you lose to a uh what's the what's the girl's name that was uh from Canada that runs the hurdles oh uh didn't she win the Olympics that won the Olympics Felicia George well she didn't win she didn't win one Australia Sally P I thought it was one from Canada that didn't she go to Nebraska or something like that oh Priscilla Lopes Priscilla Lopes Uh and when you when you see these these sprinters and hurdlers and long distance runners and mm-hmm. swimmers and all that stuff, and you see the best in like the best ever to do some of this stuff, and you lose to those people <laughs> and you look at those people that got like fifth and they maybe didn't medal and they're probably unhappy about that, but you look at them like oh they didn't medal. You're looking at the, the forget one percent. Yeah, this is like. The point five percent of the one percent exactly. of of exactly. like I ran against guys that I used to beat, and they were they ran in the Olympic games. Mm-hmm. I played against guys that were okay in high school. Mm-hmm. They're in the NFL now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, but in the Olympics, that is literally like some of the greatest athletes that this world probably will ever see. Now, I'm going to be also honest in saying <laughs> that when I see the 400, sometimes you look at those really <laughs> early prelims and you see people running 51 in the 400. Don't do and that. Because like, hey, they the best in their country. They the best in their country. Okay. But I'll be like, damn, I need to go to their country, get dual <laughs> citizenship. And I can, I can, I would be the man right now. Some people think that there's that stuff is easy. It's not easy. It is not. It is you look ver- at it from the surface and you assume. It is not easy, man. Everybody the time, got their challenges. The amount of work and the amount of time that goes into it. And I, and I know they're just running track and trying to get ready for the Junior Olympics. That, you know, these people are, are serious. <laughs> they are, like, ain't nobody playing at the Junior yeah, Olympics. It's fun, <laughs> but it's ain't nobody playing with you out there. And um so two continental two continent championships, three national championships, mm-hmm. uh Olympic Olympian, uh did you were you in the finals? No. Crazy thing. Told you my testimony crazy, right? <clears throat> so I actually had a stress fracture at the Olympic Games. I had a broken left tibia. And um as a hurdler, that's not really the no, ideal. It ain't what you want. So, from March, crazy thing, my indoor indoor world championships that year, mm-hmm. I had a car accident si- like six days before I left for the world indoors. Didn't realize that I was like bleeding internally. Ended up going out to incident. <laughs> like it was crazy. Yeah, you're bound by tape. <laughs> like, <laughs> by- <laughs> like when I tell you God is working. Yeah. So I was bleeding internally, but I had the race of my life, made the finals indoor worlds. Yeah. And so I was prepped 
the best shape of my life mentally, physically, emotionally. I have, was having a great time in my training group, and I was ready for the games. March come around, and I'm like, man, I know that my leg is broken. Like, I know that I have a stress fracture. But I'm like, whoop, oh, well, you know, like. I'm here now. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to do. This is what I set myself up for. I mm -hmm. said two years ago that I'm going to get this thing three years. Mm -hmm. We are now in 2012, yeah. and this is where, where I'm at. Year. Like, yeah. if my leg is going to snap in half, then it's just going to have to snap in half. But Ooh. I need to know that that's that I gave myself <laughs> everything. That literally happened to my friend. Yeah. Brandon Washington. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and I <laughs> yeah, that literally happened to Brandon Washington running the four hundred. His yeah. leg literally turns into pixie dust. And the, imagine a hurdler where all we yeah. do is just cream, cream. so yeah, basically so I impact. had to train smart yeah. versus train hard. Yeah. Um, but it showed at the games. So yeah. like I could only really go over five to six hurdles at a time. And so my first five, six hurdles, banging. I was like in first, second place. Yeah, but that seventh hurdle. Boy, <laughs> the last couple hurdles start coming. <laughs> like, where y'all going? <laughs> what do you do? What yeah. do you do? Wait, where you going? Come on, get yeah. back over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. No. Yeah. So I ended up getting fourth in my heat when they only took top three. and um, Or I'm sorry, getting fifth in my heat when they took top four mm. to the next round. And Damn. I was shattered, emotionally, yeah. mentally shattered because – there are people in that heat that I, I mean, I, I had beaten. You've been beating them all year. Do anything yeah. when you have a broken leg, period. Yeah. <laughs> Literally a broken leg. That's what happens when, and that's why I actually had dedicated myself to um, sports medicine at that point. Yeah. Um, because I felt like it's not always the most talented person that ends up finishing first. It's Sometimes the it's person. the healthiest. It's the healthiest person. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, if you're unhealthy, you could be the fittest, the most talented, whatever. But if you have a broken leg, yeah. you are not doing anything. Absolutely. I mean, I watched Usain Bolt limp through all of 2017, and, and Gatlin was just fit. That's just what it was. And, and I love Gatlin. I love Justin Gatlin. And I think that he he's capable of beating him healthy but i'm also not trying to see usain bolt basically limp his way through 2017 like he should have just kind of gone out in 2016 the way he wanted to mm -hmm. but you know sponsors and money they they keep you there and you know um that's the hard thing about athletes is that a lot of times athletes don't know when to hang it up and not saying that that was Usain's issue, but a lot of guys do that. They run a, way, a race too long. They play one more year of football that they shouldn't. Um, they they want to box one more time because they're about to make this million dollars, and they get their ass slipped. And, <laughs> and they, you know, but it's it's that competitive nature also. Yeah. It's just that, like, I got to do this. And also, a lot of it comes from um, – this is where people know me. This mm -hmm. is my glory part. It's your comfort zone. It's my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I want to, I don't know what I'm going to do after mm -hmm. this. That's what it is mainly. And, big thing. and that's what I wanted to get into was when you were done, mm -hmm. what made you say, yeah, I figured that it's really easy for you because you could always go back to school. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm trying to figure out where in the world did you say, hmm, let me pick up this metal tube <laughs> and, and and go down this icy um, roller coaster thing. Man, it's crazy. After 2012, like you said, people don't always know when to take their exit, but I knew 
Yeah. That 2012. I, was I remember us talking about that from the sport. Even back then, you exactly. were like, "Yeah, I'm done." I gave myself three years. Mm-hmm. I gave everything I had for three years, mm-hmm. and at that point in 2012, I was content with knowing I had given every single thing that I had. Mm-hmm. And so I hung them up after mm-hmm. that. August 6, 2012, was my last time wearing sprites on a race, and that was the Olympic Jeez. qualifiers. And um, so I started coaching. I just went straight to coaching, mm-hmm. but I had a lot of track and field friends, mm-hmm. you know, obviously who had then went into bobsled. And so in an effort to support them and, you know, like follow their journey and watch the 2014 games, mm-hmm. that's what I did. And it was while I was watching, I was like, man, um, I had just resigned from coaching to go to chiropractic school in right. May of 2014. Mm-hmm. So there was like this athletic void that was happening. And so right. it made more sense for me to be more, um, to identify closer to what my friends were doing because I wanted to support them. Yeah. And so in seeing them do that, because that was probably around the first time I even, I hadn't even watched track, I think, at that point, other than my athletes I was coaching. I no, had you not wouldn't watched even following it. Yeah. No, I didn't know mm-hmm. what was going on in track. But I knew what was happening with my friends because I genuinely wanted to see them do great. Right. And with the Olympics coming up for winter, it was my first time watching it. So I said, man, I actually think I might be able to do this. Yeah. And um, I thought I thought about it for a little while. I was like, hmm. I sat on it for like eight months. Mm-hmm. I basically thought about it and was like, eh, Sean, you might just have these crazy ideas. You're mm-hmm. good at that, you know, like whatever. Then though, eventually I did a little research and I realized like, man, the U.S. team is actually having a combine in Texas yeah. in July of 2015. Cause remember I sat on it for a while yeah. and I was like, man, I'm going to do it. So May of 2015, I started training. I trained for six weeks, went to the combine up in Dallas and ended up making a team. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. I actually I'm on that got, thing, baby. I still got well, a little handy. bit in the juice tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't think I still, it was like competitive. You know, yeah. I played some like flag football and yeah. stuff like that, but nothing where I thought I was actually athletic enough to do some of these things, especially mm-hmm. after six weeks. And so when I made the team, mind you, I'm still in chiropractic school. So I went out to Lake Plast. I was invited to a rookie camp, ended up finishing third at the rookie camp came back to texas because i had to take all these tests yeah and while i was there while i was back i said you know what i'm gonna need to build a sled out of wood because i can't let everybody else get better than me right right so i need to figure out how to keep my competitive nature so i went to the hardware store bought these plaque these two by fours got a couple drawer handles a couple of pot hangers and some uh dolly wheels and sat in my garage and built this sled called <laughs> and uh yo <laughs> you <laughs> no no i want people to understand what she's talking about right now it's just a push cart this but it is was a split. no this is a career <laughs> a career track and basketball athlete <laughs> and basically a doctor <laughs> and she decided one day that she wanted to be a bobsledder and so not only did she make the team but she went to a <laughs> hardware store. First of all, was it Home Depot or Lowe's? I mean, I didn't want to plug them, but it was Lowe's. It was Lowe's. Okay, shout out to Lowe's. Shout out Cut to Lowe's. Cut the check. Making dreams come true. I'm just saying, Lowe's. I'm just saying. Um, Went to Lowe's. Basically went and got some duct tape and some PVC pipe and a, uh, and a stick. And... Probably got a magic wand in there somewhere Look. and built her own sled. And here we are. In my garage. In the I garage. Call it a Mayflower. At that point, in the you got do you still have it? Yes, of course I have. So it. do you still use it? Yes, she served as the most important instrument for Bobsled 101 and creating the the Nigerian team. 
The Mayflower. The Mayflower. Spell M A E flower. Uh huh. Uh huh. After my late sister May May. Okay. Okay. Yes. I w- yo, this is like. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling There's you now. Levels. I'm telling you now. <laughs> what is this? 2018. By 2025. If we do not have a movie about the Nigerian <laughs> boss, like because we've seen cool runnings and that shit cool, that's like great. I get it, Malik Yoba, yes, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. <laughs> I get it, but this is real life cool runnings, real life cool runnings. I just saw that the Nigerian, I mean that the Jamaican bobsled team actually Women. qualified. Yeah, yeah. My so girls, shout out to them. them shout my out dogs. to them. Yeah, Jazzy Fresh. So my thing about the Jamaicans though is I need them to stop being good at everything. So, (laughs) I need y'all to stop taking over all the sprints. You like leave us up. I just saw Usain Bolt is trying out for Manchester United. Hey, that would be dope. Like, yeah, I didn't know that. It's crazy. He said he said that he's gonna go to a trial, and if they tell him that he has potential to be good and make the team, he's gonna actually train for it. If they tell him. Nah, chill, bro, just run straight. Enjoy retirement. <laughs> enjoy retirement. He's just gonna go chill. But he's but he said his dope. dream was to play for Manchester United. Wow, yeah, he's been a big man you Yeah. Fan, so so. I mean, that. I just need I just need them to not be good That's at dope, something. Though. Nah. Like, but you know, it's in the genetic code. Yes, so, yes, like, yes. People of color tend we to We is black. <laughs> and come in and do we are things. amazing. Yes. <laughs> so so you here, you got your team together. Yeah. You you guys do this campaign of trying to get the federation started and get some support from people. Um and I guess my one question is either during that campaign or after now that you guys are at this point um who is the one person that you guys were like y'all looked on y'all phone and y'all was like what like they're supporting us or they tweeting us or whatever like who was that one person that you were just like in awe of man you know i'd probably say the one that really struck a nerve for me was when common posted us uh, i said because common is home team wait a minute yeah but not even just that man i just see him as just like a super grade a kind of guy like yeah. an a1 kind of guy He's you know what like, i mean yo the national the nigerian man, national team like we gotta stay together <laughs> But he posted one it love. twice, like yeah. once on his Twitter, once on his Instagram. And I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. You yeah. know, like, this is amazing. Because it's one yeah. thing. Um, and then, like, all yeah. the Nigerian artists that posted and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just because I think it's hard for people to understand. Did WizKid post y'all? I don't know if Wiz posted us. I know David O posted us. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> some and a lot, DeBange posted us. I didn't okay. let go. Like it was a lot of a lot of Nigerian yeah. artists that posted us. That's what's up. Um, yeah, like Yemi Holiday. It was a lot of people. I was super stoked actually because I think what people don't understand is they look at it like, okay, you guys are Nigerian American, right. right? And it's it's almost like the same boat you sit in when you're like mixed, when you're half black, half white, right? right. Where it's like you're sometimes never Nigerian enough, and, and you sometimes, sometimes you're, you're never not American just, enough. Yeah, yeah. And so 
when you make a decision like, oh, why do you compete for Nigeria when you were born and raised in America when mm-hmm. that's the only culture you know? Like, that's right. what you were raised in your house. Like, that's mm-hmm. what you speak. That's what the food you eat. The way mm-hmm. you conduct yourself is because that's what you were raised as. Yes. And what people don't realize is that it's harped into us even more as first generations because our parents are afraid to lose the culture in our mm-hmm. in their children. Absolutely. And they yeah. don't want it to be their kids that dilute mm-hmm. the culture and things Absolutely. like that. So we usually get it a lot harder. Um, and, and a lot of times we just yearn to try and relate to what it is that we're, we're being taught. And so 85% of my family still lives in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't, and I miss out on the opportunity of growing up with my cousins mm-hmm. and doing kind of thing. Like I just happen to be the family encyclopedia. So I yeah. know them, but you know, I miss out on that stuff. And so for me, it's very beautiful to see Nigerians accepting what we're trying to do for the country and not looking at it right, as like, like what are y'all, y'all doing? you know like yeah. what are y'all doing they just know that look we're nigerian and yeah. we're going to put whatever on, it is if y'all gonna go out there and, and do curling look we're gonna be we behind gonna it. put on what's a, what is it? first of all what's a curl <laughs> <laughs> second, like, second so you just pick up that little broom and you and just you scoop like bet. that's we, how we, we there. do this we in there and what's crazy is that i like I really want to see Nigeria out there throwing the flag around like they do at the pin relays or mm-hmm. at the Olympics, like making it a party. Yeah. But I know it's so cold. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> too cold. We tropical folk. <laughs> like black people are just tropical as hell. But they'll make so noise somehow. They're gonna Nigerians make noise are going to be extra. Man, That's just our nature. That's how be, we do they're going to be doing and and the thing about it is like if you never really if you don't have nigerian friends which i some. have a lot of them <laughs> you need some for real um second you realize really fast what it means to like like to really be proud of where you come from the first way you learn the hardest the 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 really hard way you find out is by going to a nigerian wedding <laughs> Because, <laughs> because they are super late to the, <laughs> to the to the wedding, they're super late to the wedding, and then they party for hours and hours yes. and hours and hours because they're just so proud of so the union happy. and they're so proud of being around each other. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, family. they throw money at the dollar, Nigerian dollar, wedding. Dollar, 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 yes. bill. <laughs> but we don't get to keep none of that money. <laughs> it's really just for the bride and groom. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, don't go out there trying to have Nigerian weddings if you're not, if you're not really about that life. Really, for real. Though. Like, like, don't do that. Please don't do that. But the crazy thing is, is like, although we're Nigerian, we're also American. Right. You know so, what I'm saying? Like, everything we've committed to and what we represent and how we present ourselves and what we've done in life has been to give back and to contribute to our Americanness, like what we are as Americans. And Mm -hmm. instead of people looking at it and seeing like, oh, y'all are this trying to do that Mm -hmm. or y'all are that wanting to do this, Mm -hmm. people aren't sometimes looking at it as like, you actually have a magnified effect Mm -hmm. of somebody who represents two different things. And so now you're having this connection of what it means to have that and that. Right. As opposed yeah. to choosing one or the other. Because you can have I'll, it all. I'm, it's yeah. not even so much that I like want it all. Yeah. This is the reality yeah. of it is, yeah. is that this is I grew I up am. in Chicago. Yeah. I went to University of Houston. Mm-hmm. I am Nigerian as hell. Yeah. Like, I am <laughs> like, yeah. Nigerian than a Mickey flick. Like, yeah. that's yeah. all I do yeah. is cook and eat and talk and dance to Nigerian music. Like, that's all, that is my life. And jollof rice goes super hard. Oh, yes. (laughs) Jollof rice goes super hard. So, like, it's, 
it's it's great. I think what's cool about that is that um, you actually have an idea of you. Not only do you have an idea, you have an extensive knowledge of like who you really are. Right. And you know, a lot of Black Americans don't really get that opportunity to really be able to say that because you know our history is so lost in a lot of stuff and you know not to be super woke about it but like i envy that in some of my nigerian friends some of my kenyan friends and my jamaican friends and dominicans and all that kind of stuff because they like oh yeah we go over here and this is what we do all i know is <laughs> you know what i mean like i know as far back as my family can almost get but then before that it kind of gets lost so um i guess not only knowing where you're from and then having that pride because I also can imagine what it's like for, you know, first generation kids to come over here, Nigerian, they they black, they look like us. And then when they found, when they hear the last name, <laughs> kids are like, oh, <laughs> who do you think, you, you know, you, they, everybody got African, African name, you're African booty yes. scratcher, you, uh, you all types of, <sighs> you all types of stuff. And, yes. You know, growing up and you and you hear that and you and um, it's very easy to to push that part of your life away because you want to fit in. Exactly. And but but the people that I know that that held on to it because their parents probably parents beat it into them. Yeah, <laughs> like, they were just exactly like, like, nah, you're still Nigerian. Because you're nah. one way when you leave the house, yeah. but you're another way when you're in the house. Yeah. And I struggled. I struggled with that for a long time yeah. because it didn't make sense to me that everything around me happened a certain way. But when I came in the house, it happened totally different. Like, yeah. What? Why? I felt like I was being punished. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Because it's like, why must I live by these rules or do these things or operate under these constraints when that's not even like societally like accepted? Yeah. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. And so when you're a teenager and you're starting to find your free will and you're starting mm -hmm. to understand that concept of free thought, yeah. All you think of is revolt because you're yeah. just like. I don't understand why you want me to behave a certain way. We are not in Africa. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, and then like, not only that, but it's like my friends don't understand and I can't explain it to them because I'm the minority. Yeah. And so you try telling 10 people one thing. Like, they're look, all like, it's a Nigerian thing. Right. I'm just about to go to the crib. Now. Right. Like, like, <laughs> I'm just got to go home. Yeah. All like, right, I'm, just, I'm just never mind. Don't worry about it. I'm just, <laughs> I'll see you Like, straight. for real. Yeah. And it's, it really bothered me because I'm like, all you care about is my grades. I'm getting good grades. Yeah. All I want to do is go to the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't go to the ball. All I, I want to do is spend night at my friend house. Yeah. I can't even go to my friend house. Like, yeah. there's just concepts that don't resonate in those type of cultures that we have as fully accepted in ours. And it's more of like a, a discipline thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like an over-discipline thing because mm -hmm. the culture is based on pure and utter respect. Period. Right, right. Absolutely. It's just a respect, the hierarchy of respect. That's it. And so... If you don't understand that or if you're in your, like, rebel without a cause mind state, ooh, you will struggle. Yeah, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you will struggle. <laughs> you're not going to make it, man. Okay. So <laughs> what is what is a typical day in the life of a bobsled athlete? What is the workout like? Um. Well, for, for a bobsled athlete that's coming from track and field, it's a high caloric intake because we have to put on somewhere around 15 to 20 pounds. Yeah, we are- To be able to control the sled? No, to be, for the physics of the sled. 
because the sled is about 185 kilos, which is like 320-something pounds, 330 pounds. And so you are hauling this sled around. Imagine you are at the ice for about three to four hours, but you're only on ice for like four minutes. So most of your work is moving the sled, flipping it, getting runners on, taking the runners off, putting Mm -hmm. these scabbards on to protect the runners, getting Mm -hmm. it flipped, getting it loaded, getting it uh, dropped off, driving on a truck on it, getting it back, loading it into the ship. So a lot of it is just like... It's manual labor. Yeah, yeah. And then when you're actually on the ride itself, you stick to the walls better when you have more weight. And you carry more velocity when you have more weight. if you're too light and ass, you're going right off the... There we go. If you just think about, like, for all the physics people out there, Mm -hmm. you get that, you know, mass times acceleration is what makes force. Right. And so if you've got the speed, but you're small, you don't have the mass, then you're not going to have as much... So you really had to pick up, like, 15 pounds? Yeah, I... You went on a bulk. Yeah, I left track and field at about 142, and at at one time I was 160. Where you at now? Like 151. I lost 15 pounds during the time where I was trying to qualify because, like, the amount of stress that I was under, even though I wasn't wearing it, like, on the outside, my body was withering away. Been there? Yeah. Still there. It's like, bro, what happened to you? I lost 15 pounds. And so you... What I see in Bob's letters... Physically, is that everything is pretty much below the waist. So, like, uh, legs are big, like speed skaters almost. So, is the strength and conditioning that of a sprinter? Yeah, that's why sprinters make, or track athletes in general, make really good bobsled athletes. And see, I didn't know until you said that a few minutes ago that a lot of sprinters are getting into bobsled. Now, I knew Sam McGuffey mm-hmm. uh, tried out for the team. Did he make the team? Yeah, he's actually going to the games. Oh, dope. Yeah. Dope. So, shout out to shout Sam out McGuffey. Shout out to Sam. That's me, and, me and Sam played against each other at a... At a when he was at Rice and you were at UCLA. No, when he was in high school. Oh, right. He, oh, went, yeah, to, right. he went to high school five minutes from me. Mm-hmm. And we were in the same district. And, yeah. Uh, so, I'm a year ahead of him, but... Uh, shout out to Sam, man. He's yeah, doing his man. thing, He's man. He's doing his thing. Yeah, He's out yeah. there killing it. So it's that of a sprinter. So it's like, oh, I already do this. I'm just going to do it harder. Mm-hmm. And we going, like, I think what, what interests me the most about it is that being in Texas, it ain't really no place for you to really, really train on a bobsled. So where do you guys train for the most part? Um, we train primarily in the weight room on a track. Or okay. with the Mayflower. Um, okay. And a lot of that is contrary to what popular belief is, is what most bobsledders do. Okay. Because you can really only train for bobsled on a bobsled track for when so you're at times. a bobsled track. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's only so many of them in the world. There's mm-hmm. only four in North America. So if you're trying to actually slide on ice, yeah, you have to go to a bobsled track. How often have you done that? Um, I've been, I've slid on all the North America's tracks. To do a little bit more sliding before the game start. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've I've done quite a bit of that, but most of it is just getting in the weight room, trying to get our weight up, and getting making sure slow. to keep that weight with the speed. So yeah. working a lot of plyos, working a lot of sprint stuff, so that we can make sure to keep up with that. Getting swole out here. You know, trying, trying, uh, okay. but not too too much, because you know I have a tendency to turn into the Hulk around here. Man, <laughs> I was just telling them <laughs> off air like, <laughs> Sean is ripped. Like I'm really not. Don't listen to him. Sean, I'm really not. Sean is ripped. But I'm not. Got the, <laughs> I'm talking about she don't drink. She don't really eat a bunch of junk. I love chocolate. 
Chocolate ain't and chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate is like <laughs> chocolate's in the Bible, so <laughs> I'm probably lying. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm probably going to hell for that, but it's cool. But blasphemy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I like chocolate too. So, but like, that's you know, I guess like, so your other teams, your, your other teammates, were they already into it? Mm-mm. So you got them into it. Yep. And he was like, look. I recruited him. <laughs> like, so check this out, bro. This we gonna I do, know bro. you like to run a lot, right? <laughs> but I got this bobsled at the crib. Hear me out. <laughs> I got this wooden bobsled at the crib, right, that I just built. And they probably looking at you like, are you serious? Like, wh- how much convincing did it take to get them? Um, Very little, actually. Um, Crazy thing is, is so Ngazi was one of my athletes at University of Houston. She was a part of the first class of athletes that I recruited when I first became a coach. Uh, okay. So I had known her all through college. Yeah. I you know, coached her for four years and then um, afterwards helped her get connected with the Nigerian team. So she ran for Nigeria for a year. Shout out to Ngazi. Ngazi on, on the grind. You on know the, what I mean? On the grind, Kaz. And so she and did well. You know, yeah. she did well in college, did well with Nigeria. And so it was one of the things that I always took to heart. Like I, I always tell people. I'm all about trying to help people be great. You know, yeah. like in whatever capacity I can, I'm always going to make time because there's always time for whatever mm-hmm. you need. And so one of the things that I always did was invested in the energy of all my athletes. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm your coach. It was like, I I can help you with life. You know, yeah. like if you want to just talk about life, I'm invested in you as a person and I want to see you be great. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I did was I would have like lunches, meetings, like annually, biannually, if mm-hmm. whenever you need them, if you're like, hey, can we link up and go do lunch? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, just let me know, mm-hmm. you know, if this time works for you, blah, blah, blah. So we did that. Mm-hmm. And we would have, we had like a couple, you know, lunches. And so it just happened to be on one lunch where all of this was happening for me and bobsled, where I just made the decision. I actually had a meeting with the U.S. coaches and mm-hmm. had a mentor meeting with them, like, hey, this is what's on the plate. I need to know, you know, what you guys think about it, if you mm-hmm. think it's a good idea, if this is something I should pursue, if, you know, my intentions on helping the sport grow would be worth it, and da-da-da. Mm-hmm. So I was going through this whole thing. <coughs> and so while she was telling me everything that was going on with her, she then reverted to asking me, like, so what's going on with you? And I was like... Well, <laughs> <laughs> pull out the scroll like I so. Just this so is what happened I'm doing. to get off the phone with somebody yesterday about starting a Nigerian bobsled team. And a uh, crazy thing was, was she was around, she was with me one day when we went to go have lunch with the president, now mm-hmm. president of the federation, mm-hmm. who was the first vice president, first vice president of the Nigerian Olympic Committee. So basically, mm-hmm. the second person in charge in all of Nigeria of all wow. Olympic sports. And so um, he was in town. He was the president of the Athletics Federation. So yeah. I knew him uh, personally as my president gotcha. uh, when I was running. Mm-hmm. And because I was doing well, you know, you create relationships with people right. when, you're at, when you're doing well. Um, so when he was in town, we had lunch, and Ghazi was with me because, you know, I was having her uh, meet him, and she had already um, met him and ran with him. So she was around when I was talking about how, like, yeah, I'm not really coming back to track because I never announced my retirement. Yeah. I just kind of vanished. He was like, zippity do that. Yeah. Threw the, I just, threw the dust down. Yeah, and like, <laughs> straight <"Ow>, dust. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, so she was around and he was talking about how, like, yeah, you know, Nigeria wanted to do uh, the Winter Olympics, but we didn't have any athletes. And I was like, mm, well, I guess that makes sense, you know. Yeah. So when I told her about it, she recalled that conversation. She was like, oh, well, you know, that's something I – she was like, yeah, I could, I could do that. And I was like, wait, really? And she was like, yeah. She was like, let me look into it a little bit more, but I think I could do that. I think it would be cool. Wow. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did I just – did I just get my – Did I just get a teammate? 
okay, cool. And then a comma, she actually had just up and decided to move to Houston. She was just oh. like, she's from Minnesota. And after college, she Minnesota. was like, I think I just want to change a location. Like, I just want to move. It's too cold in Minnesota. It so. is too cold in Minnesota. It's, like, it's too cold in Chicago, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's too no, cold. No, Chicago ain't got nothing on Minnesota, okay? Are you serious? I'm so serious. Well, they probably it more is lakes. blistering cold in Minnesota. That's true. That's true. But she yeah. just, on a whim, no family, no friends, no job, no nothing, just decided to move to Houston. Come down here where it's warm. friend of mine happens to be like a big brother of hers, hits me up and is like, yo, like my little sister's coming down here. Can you look out for for him for me and I was like yeah of course sure mm -hmm. hit her up and was just like checking in on her when she was moving in how's the transition just kind of you know inviting her to do things and be with me and I knew she ran track at Minnesota she moved in July and so around August into August beginning of September I was like I was like maybe I should call her because I know that she didn't really get to live out her full athletic potential because she was always plagued with injuries yeah um, at Minnesota and I'm mm -hmm. like I feel like she's got so much more left in the tank mm -hmm. so I called her <laughs> and she happened to be at like this outdoor like concert thing at her at Herman Park, mm -hmm. and I was like, I think it was at Herman Park. Uh, so was it a uh, Motown review? No, nah, I think it was. Some, I don't know. Don't let me get to lying. Okay. It was um, it was something, mm -hmm. and I was like, hey, so you remember I was telling you about this project I was working on? Because when we first met, she was mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of asking what else I was up to because I was in school and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm kind of working on a pretty big project, but I'll let you know once I get more information mm -hmm. about it. And so I call, when I called her, I was like, you know that project I was telling you about? So I'm building a bobsled team for the country Nigeria. And I went through this whole spiel on like how I thought that she would be perfect for it. Mm -hmm. it like not that long, maybe like a couple minutes. And she was just like, yeah, I think I would do that. I looked at my like, phone. What like, wait, what do you, you think? Wait a minute. You think you, what? Like, wait, like, as in you okay I with this? I ain't even talk that long. <laughs> <laughs> like, you okay with this? She was yeah. like, yeah. She was like, I think it'd be cool. She was like, I'll think about it a little bit. Well, no, she didn't even say she'll think about it a little bit. She was just like, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, you know, it'd be you and Ngazi. They hadn't even met before. Yeah. So I was like, I think you guys will literally love each other. Like, y'all personalities will totally match. Mm -hmm. They was the exact same age. I'm like, y'all would be dope. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'm going to schedule like a bobsled 101 meeting at my house where mm -hmm. we could just talk about it. And I gathered up all these different documents. I made these spreadsheets mm -hmm. and I made all this stuff to this show. These bobsled. <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. And she was like, okay, cool. And so I scheduled that. They met at my house. I showed them the Mayflower and I you know, a couple weeks later, we got on and started practicing. That's all they what to do. Did Amina try out for the team? Amina because did not try out for the team. <laughs> because I feel like Amina was probably like. Amina loved herself. Amina probably was like, look, I know I got to gain like 100 pounds. Like 100. But. In real life. I think I can do it. <laughs> I think I can do it. I feel like, I feel like Amina at some point tried to jump in that in the main No, nah, she did well yeah. yeah she did she just wanted to push it and run behind it because she oh, thought it was cool shit. she thought it was just cool that i was on the bobsled team when i was on the u.s team because she was like girl black people don't do bobsled that's you know, yeah she's so yeah she is but she contrary is. to popular belief black a do lot do of black people do bobsled yes. like a lot, a lot lots of them do it <laughs> and and it's it is crazy because you get a, you get so much information about this kind of stuff and and you um like you get to see what people are really interested in when they, when, or athletes, like a, a lot of the stuff that I do as an athlete, I'm just like, I think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, and then you get into it and then you get into like, it like, bro, 
<laughs> like, like with bobsled, I was like, man, I could do that. You know, all they did was just like run really fast yeah. and jump in. I and can then run you fast realize and jump how in. hard it is. What? Yeah. As a driver, so you know, when you're 16, you get your license, right? Yeah. Your license is an indication that you now understand what it means to operate a motor vehicle. You yes. are very competent and you are safe. Yeah. However, you will not take that 16 year old and throw him in Daytona. Why? Because you love his life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, that's exactly what it's been like for yeah. me being a driver. It's like, okay, you know how to drive, you're competent, you understand that you have moved from a wheel system to an axle system and a pulley system, yeah. and you can navigate. Now go race. It's like, er? Yeah. I'm in straight survival mode the entire time. Like, don't crash, 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 don't crash. You want these slopes and this little tunnel thing, and it's yeah, that shit just too fast. Seventy to ninety miles an hour. So, are you doing just the team one, or are sixty to seventy miles an hour? Wait, you had to back up. I mean, I do that in the car. He started a whole question and came back. Wait, wait, wait! Like, with no brakes, no brakes. That thing got no brakes. Not till the end. You can't pull the brakes in the middle. You eject yourself right out the the whole track. Yeah, that would be a bad mistake. That would be an awful. mistake. That would be an awful mishap. Like at the end, it's like. I'm sorry, bro. Like, <laughs> why were you pulling the brakes, why were you, bro? Hey, just Get I'm off sorry. The brake. I'm sorry. That's yeah. crazy, cause like, like when you think about something that has no brakes, and you're on ice, it's and just you just got a faster. helmet on. Cause you're going downhill, so you're yeah. just getting faster and faster until you get to the finish. Then it starts going uphill. You got a helmet on with a speed suit. <laughs> you know, the only thing that I want. The only reason why I kind of wanted to like do the bobsled thing is because the uniforms be live. They are live. I really I remember trying to recruit you to bobsled when I was on the U.S. team. Like, he was Jack, like, "Yeah, you should come." You That's should what come it was. Out. And he was like, "Come out and do it." I was, I was like, like I was like, "No." That was like, bro, I was like, "I swear you'll be so good at this, like so good." Man. I was really trying to get him to bobsled. Maybe y'all. That's the next chapter of my life. Like, y'all don't be surprised if he's in a bobsled. With the helmet be, on. Man, yeah. you'll be raw. You know, I just realized a, a few weight. weeks ago that I could still run routes. Why did you think you couldn't? I'm because confused. I hadn't run a route, like a real route, in 10 years. Okay. And um, so I got into coaching uh, wide receivers oh, okay. uh, as a, a private thing. So, like, I privately train them nice. as they go into there. And so I only have um, one kid right now. Uh-huh. And in order for me to... I don't like to give people something that I can't demonstrate. Right. So um, one thing I got from my coaching at UTEP was that even if he wasn't doing anything, he always had a pair of cleats. So on the field, he had his pair of cleats on, and he would he would never run routes with us. He would never do any of that stuff with us, but he had his cleats on because he played. Mm-hmm. So I guess it made him feel closer to the game and stuff like that. So I took it a little bit further, and I put my cleats on, and I'm like, now, I'm, in order to give him enough rest to do certain things, I can also coach and demonstrate him, give, demonstrate how to do things mm-hmm. with him. So, I'm doing cone drills, and I'm like, damn, I'm, I, can, I can still kind of <laughs> do I this. I might be cone. I, I might, I might be kind of <laughs> nice. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, and I'm running routes and I'm running post routes and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I, I can still get up and down the field a little bit like I'm not in any type of shape because mm-hmm. playing football and running track and being a 400 runner at that meant I never got tired basically I don't get tired <laughs> I don't get I don't, don't, I get, don't tired. get tired 
And so now I don't have any foreign <laughs> and I'm just out there. Boys out there huffing. <laughs> boy, just out there sucking wind. That's funny. But you know how to use your body now. You know how to breathe. You know how to get through certain things. And, like, when you're tired, you know where to go in your form to get mm-hmm. things the right way. And so um, I just realized that I was still, like, a decent enough athlete to, <laughs> to be functional and, and doing certain things because like before i was just lifting weights and i was just that got boring and um and i hurt my back and like i know I a chiropractor to, yeah I, I, was, <laughs> I was about to say i should have came to see you uh, i know i actually just got uh, um cortisone injections in my lower back because i had lower back arthritis and that probably wasn't a good idea for you thinking it was like nah i shouldn't have done that i actually feel pretty good now but I've got two, I've got torn discs, so um, I'll be hitting you up. <laughs> you know, call me you know, in between in between your uh, Olympic games and all. Uh, maybe I'll come to South Korea and. Uh, you should. We working on housing right now. Man, that's good. So South Korea, <laughs> like, is it the ideal place to do an Olympic games? Like, is that where you want to be? I don't know that any place is necessarily ideal or not ideal. I mean, you're not going for the location. You're going for the competition. But, I, well, I get that part. But then it's also like you went to London. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, they had Brazil for summer games. Well, summer games is totally different than winter games, though. That's because true. in summer games, one, you got a whole different sports lineup yeah. than you do in winter. And, two, you actually have to have – the altitude, the climate, mm-hmm. and the facilities to conduct some of the things that need to happen in winter sports. So mm-hmm. there's two villages in the winter games versus in the summer games there's only one, um, mm-hmm. more so just because the facilities have to be different. You can't fit everything in one park like you can in, ch- in a summer. Gotcha, gotcha. So, like, yeah, it's hard because people always want to compare the winter games to the summer games primarily because they don't spend enough time watching the winter games. They, we don't. So. We absolutely don't. <laughs> I really like watching the speed skaters, though. Yeah. So now I think there's going to be a little bit more awareness to what winter sports really is. And so people can really start to funnel in on those sports. So are you just doing the team sled? Are you going to do the individual sled or? Um, So there's only uh, there's only two men. That's all women oh, race. Okay. Yep. Women only race a two man. So I had okay. there are three of us. Um, because when I was a brakeman, it was always nice to have another brakeman that could slide with me and mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to always take all the trips because those trips mm-hmm. can be kind of brutal okay. on the body, um, depending on who your driver is. Right. And so um I have two brakemen, but they both um, do the same they, they do the same position. Mm. So only at any given time, only one of them is in the sled. So they alternate who's in the sled. Okay, so it's only so you two might do of a us. prelim and then the next person might do the next round. Yeah. Next so we just do. alternate, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'll race one day with one or train one day with one. And then the next day they'll switch. And then, you know, so, yeah, we're we all they, mm-hmm. their their position is is vital in the sense that they're net. They are the ones that drive the ship. They are the motor of the boat. They are the motor of the sled. And I would and I would assume that you guys being here y'all train with the usa team um or some or you i mean i guess it's just like track so yeah it's like every time you're at a bobsled venue everybody that's there is training so Mm -hmm. different like i said there's only 
there's only four in the United in the North America, mm-hmm. and then even in North America, there are countries who come here mm-hmm. to North America that don't have sleds in their country. Okay. Like Brazil has a team, Jamaica has a team. They don't have right. sleds they in their got country. No sled, so they got to come over here, right? So, or they don't have you know bobsled venues in their country. Mm-hmm. So everybody just comes here. So when we're training at these venues, everybody's training there. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the U.S. team, whether it's you know the British team, the Canadian mm-hmm. team, because you want to go to all the different tracks. They're all a little bit different. So, beats by Dre. <laughs> Shout out. I just want to <laughs> ask, you know, and I'm just going to throw it out there, but I just want to ask, like, when I'll be able to get my headphones. <laughs> or, I mean, it's no pressure. I mean, it's cool, but, you know, I'm just, do I ask you about that now? Or do we talk about that later on? I mean, or? we can run that back. Okay, we can run, we can, that, we can run sure. that back. Okay, sure. okay. I like that. Look out. Okay. <laughs> I think I understand I now. I think I like. <laughs> so, um... Obviously, that's the thing that comes up in and being an athlete and and people wanting to get behind um, what you guys are doing and, you know, getting some sponsorships out there. Because the other thing about Olympic athletes that a lot of people don't understand is that there's not a lot of money to be made. And there's none. a lot of these Olympians are Olymp- to be an Olympian. You have to be an amateur, amateur athlete. Yeah, yeah, it's an amateur sport. An Olympic sport is an amateur sport. It's the endorsement that mm-hmm. actually leads the individual athlete to yeah. being a professional. Gotcha. So they don't get paid because of their sport. Right. Like if you're getting paid <coughs> to go to the Olympic Games, it's from your sponsor or your country mm-hmm. for representing them, but not from the actual Olympic movement because right. they don't have money. So as a track athlete, I think you spent maybe a year or two in Nike, right? Yeah, my first year, my first year, first year, second year. Yeah. And then you went to Adidas. Was it Adidas? Or was no, it? actually, I was basically Nike my whole entire time. But you just um, didn't have a real sponsorship. Yeah, it your wasn't last a real year. deal. Yeah. yeah, not even. And so now you guys are with Under Armour. Yeah, shout out to the home team. Okay, Under Armour. You I. Okay. Yeah. So there's Under Armour. You guys got Beats. Visa, Team Visa, so crucial. Visa, yo, Visa. Boys got credit cards out here, homie. Out that (laughs) you know, y'all. Visa came through on some like dun 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 dun. Like it was everywhere you want to be. No, for real, it's everywhere I literally want to be. Yeah, (laughs) and it's everywhere I've ever been because I've only ever used Visa in my life. Um, but yeah, no, like they have come. They they saw our story and. They jumped on board and they pushed for us to be where we are right now too. Like, if it wasn't for them, I don't know where it'd be. Because you obviously can't be the best athlete you can be if you can't eat, if you can't pay your bills, if you can't. And what take people care don't understand is bobsled is extremely expensive. Like, I just bought, I just bought a sled. Shout out to my you new. You bought sled. your sled, guys. My sled was twenty-two thousand dollars. Yo, that's a that's a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> like twenty two, twenty two thousand dollars, and this is the this is the one that you guys are gonna Racing compete Korea. with. Mm-hmm. But that Jesus was like Christ. that was a special deal for my sled. Like that particular sled itself can range up to like forty grand, forty to fifty grand. That's a Mercedes. Yeah, that's so a like, base model Mercedes. No, for real. Like the BMW sleds are a hundred grand. So which sled do you have? What, I what? have a BTC A BTC, mm-hmm. a BTC, okay. Which is right now one of the top sleds that are 
um, in the game. It stands for beat that chick. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go, cutting up. Beat that chick right there. <laughs> they think they're going to be faster than you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's BTCs are a very popular brand, a sled that people have um, outside of. You know your BMW sleds or who's riding around here in a BMW bobsled? Well, BMW sponsors the U.S. team, so of course the US, <laughs> the US they has. out here like <laughs> pulling up like yeah. And I think they make sleds for a European team. I think, but yeah, no, BMW is actually one of the winter sponsors, winter bobsled okay. sponsors. So okay. they sponsor a lot of stuff. Twenty-two thousand dollars for a sled, and that's like a beginner sled. Jeez, so. Is there, um, would you say that w- looking at other people's sleds, like a BMW sled or somebody that has like a forty or $50,000 sled or something like that, does that hinder your performance against theirs? Or is it just who can push their sled, who can ride their sled the best? Is that what it is? You, It's the driver. You can have... I mean, granted, equipment does make a difference, mm-hmm. but the biggest difference is because you're not going to be out there in the Mayflower. Yeah, no, we're definitely not going to be out there in the Mayflower. But but you know what though? Like for a sled, it's the same way you wouldn't necessarily give a 16 year old a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Like right. it drives fast, and yeah. sometimes you tap the gas and it's too gone. much. It's yeah. too much for them to control at yeah. that moment. And so even though you want the Ferrari because your family can afford the Ferrari and you're looking at it it's like, like it's yeah, yours. I think you need to be in this camera. Yeah, thing. no, you need to ride this Toyota until you can be yeah. decent. So you can figure out. Exactly. Until the balls drop. So. <laughs> 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 we need your balls to drop first. Right. Before. And then we'll put you in this Ferrari. And that's yeah. basically how it is. So, yeah, I probably want the best of the best cream of the crop slip, yeah. but the reality is one a Ferrari is also extremely expensive right and you got to stay in your lane yes right yes. like most beginning federations it is not unusual for them to rent a sled the first year or two right just right. because of the price of a sled that's expensive man it, it is it's like a like do they do financing on that shit or do they <laughs> like, know you get it from then you got to get the runners right the runners the blades that go underneath them okay yeah because yeah. they don't just slide on itself it so the blades like how much do those cost a set is easily five grand for a set, and a set includes four runners, two in the front, two in the back, five grand. And so if those go on you, Let me that's tell another you how five. I bought my very first set of runners last season, and I spent, I think, 2.5 on them because they were a beginner set. They yeah. had been used by a couple different people, but they were still in good condition. Yeah. The very next day, I pretty much almost crashed, and I scratched up my runner on concrete. Yep. So there was this huge gash in my runner the next day. And you like, I just paid $2,500. Do you know these. I want the just fallout? Because in order to get those scratches out, you have to sand them. And so oh, that's yeah. how you maintain your, your right, runners right. is you sand them with sanding paper. You just go down a different grit yeah. to get out whatever the type of scratch it is. But right. that scratch was so big, I would have to literally sand out my runners and my runners were already they have dimensions that are regulation yeah. where you can't be under them or whatever or they'll think you're cheating and they mm-hmm. measure them and they have to approve it and so the that the size of that gash would basically require me to sand my runners down to almost an illegal height so i couldn't get the scratch out completely do you know how bent i was oh i was so pressed the now, next day now you use those runners to get Cut now they're my practice runners. Yes. Oh, I was gonna say you they're cut apples with them runners. in the kitchen. But they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not that sharp. They're not sharp. Nah, they're okay. very very dull because if they're sharp, then uh, you would carve ice. You're right. So they right. have to be like. <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's wow. So 
This is so interesting, man. Like, <laughs> this is so interesting because it is it an expensive ass sport. It costs like for me to use the ice house in Calgary for an hour is two hundred and ten dollars, and like for one run is like sixty three dollars just to take one run down ice, um, and you usually want to take at least two or three each session. And then so you want to go every it, week. That's another sixty-three. Exactly, and and the expectation is that you're sliding every day. That's kind of the nature of the sport. The Thousands sport, of dollars. The sport is very, very keen on you being on ice as much as possible because you only get so much time to be on ice. Only when it's winter, that's the only time you really get to be on ice. So, Meanwhile, a hundred dollars, and you got a brand new spanking pair. Track spikes. Boom. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you how much their ice spikes. Ice spikes oh, were only made by Adidas for the longest. So they were the only ones with the patent for the brush that goes underneath because it's called a brush spike. Yeah. There's like, I think, 150 so think needles at the bottom of it. $325 for one pair. That's just a spike. Right. Don't forget you need a helmet. Helmets can range. And if you want a decent helmet. Oh, them helmets is live, too. <laughs> so I know them helmets is... Them, Six seven hundred dollars right there. Man, helmets can range crazy. I don't know. Luckily, shout out to Laser. I got a helmet sponsor, so I don't need to pay for it. But yeah, yeah, like that's. So you don't have to pay for a helmet. That's a lot right now because we got a helmet sponsor. So but yeah, a, when I did, it was two hundred and twenty dollars per helmet. Yeah, or about. So. You got the helmet sponsor. Did the, whole t- did the whole team got a helmet sponsor? or? Yeah, so the way that it works is the sport actually follows the driver first. Um, so as the driver, I'm the one that qualifies the sled. Yeah. And I'm the one who um, then gets that sled to whatever yeah. competition. And the representation by that country comes from the driver. Yeah. And so um, – most times when the sponsor comes, they'll sponsor the driver and then whoever my brakemen are. Um, so because I made it very clear that, you know, these are my brakemen, this is the um, this is the front that I want to make sure people know and understand as mm-hmm. the Nigerian women's bobsled team. Mm-hmm. Um, if a helmet sponsor comes through, they're not just sponsoring me, they're sponsoring all of us. If you want me, you got to get the you whole gotta crew. The whole you crew. Everybody. In <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, so they uh, sponsored. So we're not going to catch you on a motorcycle and your uh, bobsled helmet. Well, it's the motorcycle helmets. That's what bobsled helmets are. That's just fire. Yeah, except they just got a visor inside for anti fog for the driver. I like that. Yeah. I yeah. like that. <laughs> so um, we're almost finished, man. So, like, uh, Tell us, like, a couple of your uh, passions outside of the sport of bobsledding and track. And, you know, what are you into? Like, what are some things that you uh, that you feel really strongly about um, that you want to do and um, and w- what you're using this platform for? Um, well, it's crazy because I'm using this platform to really help empower as many people as possible and to get people to understand that they should never be limited in life by the fear of the unknown. Uh, just because there are going to be so many things that can present themselves as opportunities, but if you Correct. shy away from them because they are unforeign or they're foreign territory to you, right. then you can really be missing out on an opportunity to do something selfless and mm-hmm. bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. um, which then 
inadvertently creates your success, which runs on a continuum and therefore becomes a legacy. Um, so one of the things that I think is going to be my biggest legacy is um, I'm really passionate about sports medicine. Uh, okay. my, my biggest legacy lives in the field of sports medicine, which is why I've uh, always been in school. Like I'm cracking backs and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I I try to shy away from the fact that I'm like really really educated. <laughs> like I uh, yeah, thought it was yeah. a good idea to get like five degrees. Like I'm really obnoxious. And it is a good idea to get five degrees. <laughs> and I have them. Like it's really obnoxious actually, because I didn't get them because I wanted to be like, oh, guess what? You know, this is what I have. Um, but th that's how passionate I am about sports medicine. I mm -hmm. just constantly wanted to seek that knowledge and being a biomechanist, being um, able to focus on injury prevention, rehabilitation. I've been on that end where athletes are not healthy, but it's not that they aren't healthy to be the best that they can be. They just can't be the best that they can be because of the ailment. Right. Um, but if we can come up with different methods, and you know, like medical advances to help people be the best they can be, mm -hmm. then I think we'll be having a lot more grade A athletes. Like it really bothers me to know like an athlete like Derrick Rose, you know, can never live up to his potential because he can't keep healthy knees. Like there is something missing. Yeah. Something there is, there is clearly something and missing. you and you look at it and you look at other people that have those same issues and then you look like a, look at a guy like LeBron James who's never hurt <laughs> and you're like how is this guy it breaks my heart yeah and and the worst thing like it's a really sad story when you got an athlete it's just like that when you see an athlete that has all the potential all the talent and they've reached their potential um, maybe not their peak but they reach their potential and then you see them go down because their knees give out or their ankle like they they go grand hill on us or they you know um um so many guys in the nfl and just football in general that we lost as a career Way because on turf exactly you're blowing your knees out exactly and you look at their knees now and they got this huge Line, archaic looking yep. look like they cut themselves open with a with a, a bone or something right and we're not even talking about like the physical like okay you've got equipment issues that cause injuries right got, right like right. you know bad astroturf or something yeah. that i'm this talking about like your structural your, existence yeah. mm -hmm. failing you mm -hmm. in your athletic potential like i think that we are in an age right now where that should not be the case yeah. like we should be able to jump on preventative causes and so mm -hmm. i established a high a high performance center is actually what i'm establishing for my practice for nice. um, injury prevention and rehabilitation for elite level athletes primarily the professional athlete um, mm -hmm. because a lot of times you're not catered to the way you necessarily need to be unless you're like completely associated with the team or even if you're right. not completely associated with the team sometimes they're stuck in one methodology and the evolution of what sports medicine is becoming in like its multidisciplinary form mm -hmm. is not always utilized yeah. and so it's not necessarily geared towards the better outcome for the athlete like right. how do we keep athletes healthy it's more so well my philosophy says this my philosophy says that um i think that my treatment plan is the best or i think that this treatment plan works mm -hmm. the best and it ain't no no like workers comp for that type of stuff <laughs> not for athletes i mean no. it ain't no. no like you gotta go for unless you, you got know. insurance on your legs yeah like, unless you it. have insurance on that you you know you're done. so like that's that's interesting because you because you know, you've reiterated over and over that, like, not only are you passionate about 
about sport, but you're also passionate about making sure that you can actually function in the sport for a long time. Uh, how long do you see yourself doing bobsled? You know, it's crazy because when I first started bobsled in 2014, mm -hmm. I said I'm going to give myself three years <laughs> to give this thing. And this is year three, right? Yeah, this is my third season. Um, I'm sorry, when I started in 2015, 14 mm -hmm. was when I was watching the games. But in yeah. 2015, when I tried out, I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give this thing three years and uh, three see years what is happens. Good, is a good three is the number that just surrounds my life. Everything that I do just tends to happen in threes, which is kind of crazy. Um, I know that this is a unique situation. And so, like, after the games, I know there's going to be some, like, reevaluating that's mm -hmm. going to need to occur based on, like, my plan and what have you. But, you know, I'm a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I have plans on helping people be great you mm -hmm. know like that's what i've always wanted to do from the beginning even starting this bobsled team but i think right now it's cool because you're a pioneer for the um the nigerian team so now you can push younger athletes oh, yeah. to say hey man i know you never probably thought about it until now but um, give it a try like i'm super involved in yeah. the development of the program and and the good thing about it is that you guys are doing this and it's not just you involved. Right. It's it's you want to do this to further the the sport in your country and to make um to get other kids to say, you know, there's some other 8-year-old girl out there that's like, I want to be like Sean. And I, you know, I wanna, <laughs> you know, and That'd be so cool. Yeah, and and it's it's so doable. Yeah. It's so doable cuz when you see it, you know, um like I said, you want to be what you see, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it. Sometimes it takes a person that's never really seen it, like seeing themselves do it, yeah, to be like, mm, I think I can do it, I and I could be good it. at it, yeah. And I think we can really start something. So like, um, I always say like the first person to do something is like, they gonna catch all the arrows. So y'all getting all of the kings out right now. So wherever that leads you, it's going to give you an opportunity to like the next Olympics, things are going to be smoother, whether you're competing or not. And then the next Olympics, it's going to be even smoother. Yeah, and now you've got a, a, a village of people yeah. that are just like, we finna bobsled. Well, you know what? We actually have six people in our federation now. You know, what? like in the first year, we were so blessed with the opportunity to yeah. add not just bobsled, but skeleton. So we have oh, nice. a female skeleton athlete, one of which was just announced Monday, um, has successfully qualified for the, the Olympics as well. Fwing, fwing, fwing. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> Simi. She um, qualified for the games That's as dope. the first African female skeleton athlete. Um, Are you going to get blessing on the team? I mean, we could work on it, but I don't know how likely it's going to be to get her in a bobsled. Yeah. So <laughs> that would be dope. For those who don't know who Blessing is, Blessing uh, is an <laughs> alum of UTEP, but also a multiple-time Olympian 100-meter runner and long jumper, right? Yep. And long jumper. Uh, she's very tall. <laughs> she's, um, not tall. she's not that tall, but she <laughs> just like looks really nine. tall on – she looks really tall on the track because everyone else is five four, <laughs> <laughs> but she's a beast. She's a and beast. um, so 
Shout out to Blessing. But yeah, that's my girl. But yeah, so we gonna um, I think we gonna wrap this one up, man. I think I think I done asked all the questions I wanted to <laughs> ask. I think I done been nosy enough. <laughs> I think um, I think we've had a good time. Yeah, for sure. Um, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. And next the time, Jack Sean. Absolutely, absolutely. The next time, like when the games are over, um, I really want to get the other t- um, get the get the whole team in, and we can talk about the after. The after aftermath, aftermath of everything <laughs> and and how everything went, but I definitely wish you guys luck, man. I, again, you. I'm super proud of you, Sean. Like this is this is amazing. Like I'm I'm a fan, but we're <laughs> friends, and yeah. and I'm a fan, and then we're friends, <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, this is great. And um, man, you're just doing great things, and um, and um, I can see the positivity, and I can see the um, what you. What I, I really believe that what you're pushing for is really going to come to fruition. Is going to really change a lot of people's lives. And so, um, so thank you for coming out of your busy schedule. Thank you for having um, me. Shout out to your teammates. Give your teammates names. Yes, and Gazi Anwamer and Akama Omioga, my dogs. Those are the most Nigerian names ever. You know it, and cause I'm we with Nigerian. It. And I'm with it because <laughs> none of those names were Smith, and, uh, <laughs> and they never will be. Absolutely not. So shout out to y'all, man. Next time, come to the podcast and do y'all's thing, man. Again, thank you for carving out a little bit of time. Um, I know you got to go work out and whatnot and uh, hit these squats and, and, you know, good old hang cleans and, <laughs> and do some explosive stuff. Uh, prolific, how you feeling over there? You feeling great? I like it. So uh, another thing I wanted to point out is that we are recording in the 75th Canal store, the mobile store, which means that we're on the back of a trailer and the store looks wonderful. Um, this is really built with, with DJ Prolific's bare hands. So follow 75th and Canal and find out when you can go and um, and uh, buy some clothes out of here and just check it out. Um, we had a guy walk in here and <laughs> was in awe it because he awesome. saw Dave Chappelle on TV. I don't really know. Like, <laughs> awesome. I don't really get it. He had on one shoe and one sandal. Uh, by the way, and it's very cold outside, <laughs> and his feet were ashy. So <laughs> shout so out to you. Silly. So shout out to you. Um, but yeah, also shout out to Brooklyn Athletic Club for letting us post up right here. Um, we're gonna be back. Hopefully, this will be the home of the uh, Jack of All Trades podcast. If not, let us know where your house is so we can pull up in, fr- in front of your house. And um, yeah, so we we in this thing. This is episode two. Thank you so much for listening, even though it's probably like five of y'all listening when when this comes out. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a thousand. I don't know. But five of y'all is cool right now. Um, and again, thank you, Sean. Thank you, DJ Prolific. Thank you, 75th and Canal. And uh, we out this thing. If you want to ride, you better make up your mind and choose up. Best to see in my car, you better make up your mind and choose up.